Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another BP Movie Journal, in which we do things where we talk about stuff we've seen recently. That's, we got to come <laughs> up with a better tagline for that. <laughs> in which we look at the lists that we've captured the movies that we've seen over the past seven days, and we discuss them chronologically, usually switching off. Is that a good little like log line for the I show? I think so, but you gotta you gotta end with an exclamation point. Uh, <laughs> I used to. Um, uh, I worked at a video store. Uh, and it was a, I worked at a number of them, but in Chicago, you know, my video store mm-hmm. is called Nationwide. And, is it still there? Uh, I think it is. Okay. I think that the porn business is keeping them open. Yeah. I don't know if all four locations are still there, but um, anyway. The other thing uh, that gets me, by the way, speaking of that, and here's the thing, I've, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in the porn business. I don't know how it works. I don't know what their business model is, but it does seem like wouldn't the internet definitely put that out of business. I, I think it coexists. I think there are people who, uh, who do both plenty. Okay. All right. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, that one seems like that'd be the first thing to go with just the amount of porn yeah. online. Um, but yeah, it was called Nationwide Video. It was a very casual video store. Generally, people would answer the phone with Nationwide. That's <laughs> essentially yeah. all I would say. But sometimes, to make my friend, my coworkers laugh, if the phone rang, I would say. Uh, hello, and thank you for calling Nationwide Video, home of the 99 Cent Wednesdays. My name is David. How can I help you? Uh, and, uh, yeah, that that I had down. So I guess what I need to do is work on a, a thing like that for this show. Yeah. My name is David, by the way. Oh, I'm Tyler. And, uh, yeah, when I worked at Video Update, uh, it was not uncommon for uh, us to an- uh, answer the phone with, Hello, thank you for calling Video Update, where you can pre-order The World Is Not Enough. This is Tyler. May I help you? Uh, now, I don't know if you know or not, David, but you could pre-order The World Is Not Enough, just in case how you wanted to. How long were you keeping that go- Like, how long did you have to answer the I, w- I, went it long- I went about a week longer than we were supposed to, because I thought that was funny. But nobody got the j- <laughs> There was no joke. It was just for me. Uh, and then... I would have thought it was funny. Then at Little Caesars, uh, I would say, thank you for calling Little Caesars. This is Tyler. Would you like to try our large and limited topping pizza? Oh, the answer was no. How did that? How did that work? Unlimited toppings, one fixed price. One fixed price. It's like when you was... buy those boxes at the post office that say, no matter how yes. much shit you cram in here, yes. this is going to be eight ninety nine or what have you. Yeah, and so I think it was thirteen ninety nine. Unlimited topping, which means, and I believe we had a total of maybe fourteen toppings. You could put them all on there. You could put them on there twice. Did I'll people? say this, if you put all the toppings on there, the pizza would not cook correctly. So, uh, but we didn't we didn't lead with that. Like I mean, it's it just means that you'd have to shove it in for like two or three more minutes. Sure, but yeah. Sure. It was just but and even then like it just it wouldn't cook the way the pizza normally cooks. Um, so yeah. So you yeah. get you'd get a lot of blackened, you know, peppers and stuff. So you're a pepperoni guy. I pretty am. pretty Pretty much, yes. Uh, solely, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a. You know what I am? What's that? Tomato and mushroom. Tomato and mushroom. Although now I find seems, okay. Get, go on. You've already got tomato sauce. I know. Here's the issue. Okay. As I get older, all right. I find that tomatoes, a lot of foods, but tomatoes in particularly, uh, give me heartburn. Oh my! So I have not been getting that as much as I used to. Uh, That's interesting. Still mushrooms whenever possible. Mushrooms are possibly my favorite vegetable mushrooms here's I'm nuts a f- about them here's a fun fact 
if you saute mushrooms, I probably won't be in the room uh, because that oh. smell is so horrific to me. Huh. And like, you know, there's my thing with like taste, like a lot of stuff tastes bad to me, but there's not a lot of smells. There's there are smells to foods that are like, oh, that smells good. It's a shame. I know I won't like it, <laughs> but sauteed mushrooms, like everything about this is horrible. It's too pungent, too pungent. I have to leave the room. All Makes right. me want to throw up. And of course, Jen loves sauteing mushrooms. Uh, I don't blame her. Um, let's talk about some movies we saw. Absolutely. You and I saw a movie together at WonderCon. We did. It was an animated film. Mm-hmm. It was called Batman vs. Robin. Yeah. It was a sequel to Son of Batman, which I did not see. Uh, nor did I. Had we... I th- I'm sure they probably showed it a couple of times at Comic-Con or WonderCon. No, at WonderCon last year. It yeah. was there, yeah. So I think they do one of these... Uh, so And I actually looked it up because I had heard that that DC's like animated department is really cranking out good stuff. Their live action uh, is not the yeah. best. Let's see. That's similar. What I've heard from people more in the know is that the DC stuff has a better chance of being good. Okay. But there's also a good chance that it won't be basically what basically the DC animated movies. My understanding of their reputation is that they're, they're hit and miss, but the ones that hit really hit. Okay, and I thought this one was quite good. Batman versus Robin. I really did too. And it was a little. It, neither of us needed to see Son of Batman because it was a little exposition heavy. Yeah, uh, the movie for all of its ninety minutes, it definitely crammed a lot of. Uh, uh, your Nightwing. Nightwing is Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson yeah. was the first Robin. That's yeah. sort of barely more elegant than that. Yeah, because for a moment I was like, "Hey, who's that?" And I feel like I was. Uh, I feel like God was punishing me for thinking that question <laughs> because it's just like, oh, you want to know? Oh, I'll tell you who that is. <laughs> right. And oh, and here's the thing. So the son of Batman, his name is Damian Wayne. Uh-huh. That sounds so close to Damon Wayans. That, I, that like, had not occurred to me, but now that's what I'll think. Oh, it's the only like and, it, and it's like the last line of the film. And you don't the whole time he, he only ever refers to him as Damian. And that's right. fine. You never actually put the words together. Then at the end, he's like, there's no qu- no kid quite like Damian Wayne. And I was like, <laughs> something something doesn't sound quite right. It's like you took the extra syllable from one and put it on the other. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, But aside from that, yeah, it was really good. There was a lot of, uh, I thought it was animated very well. There was a lot of, a lot of really action. good action. And it was, there, there weren't a whole lot of scenes that weren't action. But there were some. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there were a couple of good ones actually, but it, it uh, now it incorporated the the Court of Owls storyline. Yes, which, which I, I knew nothing of. I know of it because I uh, here's what I here's my thing. Okay, with comics, all right, I buy a lot of trade paperbacks and put them in a stack and don't get around to reading them. Okay, so I have like the first like four Batman New Fifty Two trade paperbacks, which has the Court of Owls story in okay. it. Okay. Um, sitting on top of the tv in the den that's that's where it is right now okay and once i have time i'll read it along with the uh four trade paperbacks i have of profit and all the before watchmen stuff that i bought and have never read and you bought that yeah but i have not read it interesting uh, i mean i was like everyone else i was skeptical uh, very skeptical to the point of dismissal when yeah. before watchmen came out but they got some good talent and then people started saying not that people were like bouncing off the walls that it was great people were like this is this is a real comic book mm-hmm. that uh, that that you should read. Um, so yeah, I once it went down on Amazon, I bought uh, the four collections of them. I aside from the occasional like special Riddler comic, uh, Riddler uh, based comic, uh, I I haven't 
purchased a, a comic book in well over 12 years. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, and I wish like, uh, and like when I heard about the Marvel civil war, I was like, Oh, that sounds great. I wish I could get into that. But then I was like, Oh, but that's a bunch of comics. Uh-huh. That's, you know, that, that crosses everything. And I thought, what if they took everything from every other comic that had to do with civil war, crammed it into one nice anthology then I could just buy that, and then I've got everything I need for the Civil War. Um, I might do that uh, if such do a thing have, existed. Yeah, I don't know if they have. And may, maybe it does. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah. Um, it was sort of like when I was younger, there was the Infinity War, uh, or more specifically the, the Infinity Gauntlet series. And I was young enough, and I was reading the comics, and I, I tried to read every comic that had to do with it. And sometimes there would only be like two pages devoted to it in a, in a comic that was not really about that. And I was like, Pfft. I bought Thor for this. <laughs> uh, I want to read that new Lady Thor. <laughs> um, there's a Lady Thor. Is she called Lady Thor? No, she's Thor. Now is a lady. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, is that? Did they just reboot the character? Or is there? A, I guess I don't uh, really know that much yeah. about how um, the extended mythology works over there at Mar- Marvel. I'm sure we could have. I'm sure there are listeners who know and can tell us how the uh, how the Thor. Um, <laughs> Uh, the the new Thor works into the story, but yeah. I'm interested in in reading uh, Lady Thor. I think I think uh, because I recently, although I have yet to write a review uh, of it, I recently watched the anim the the sorry the motion comic right of uh, Wolverine versus Sabretooth Reborn. Again. Oh no, it's uh, it feels like <laughs> again, maybe with a question <laughs> again. Um, and the thing is, every time I watch one of these motion comics, and I don't know how I became the go-to guy to review these on the website because I don't think I've ever liked one. Um, I respect some of the anim- some of the animation what they're trying to do, and I could tell that it looks gorgeous. But the story is like, I tweeted this the other day, and it is, and this is this was not a joke; it's a genuine thing. The amount of times in my life, day to day, that I think to myself, I don't have the energy for this, <laughs> uh, is probably doubled every time I watch a motion comic, beca- a Marvel motion comic, pardon me, because I think, yeah. I-, I don't know if the storylines got more complicated since when I was a kid, <laughs> or maybe I just became preoccupied with other things as an adult. But after a while, it's just like, I don't have the energy for this. Uh, this is tiresome to keep track of all this stuff. Um, yeah, you mentioned uh, constantly thinking you don't have enough time for this. I was, uh, or you don't have the energy for this. I was thinking the other day that if I actually tweeted the gif of Tommy Lee Jones saying "I don't care" from the Fugitive as oh, much yeah. as I thought about it, that would just be like all my feed was <laughs> just like reading about you know reading about the latest uh, accusations that Trevor Noah stole his stole some of his shitty jokes. And just like, I don't care. I'm not going to watch it. I do care about that because not only were the jokes shitty. Well, we're talking about the same jokes. Oh, okay. We're talking about different jokes. I don't think the jokes he got in trouble for are the ones he stole. Okay. I I don't care. Allegedly. Allegedly. I don't care. Again. (laughs) But there's something something particularly troublesome about somebody stealing bad jokes yeah. where it's like oh geez i don't trust this one bit anyway all this is to say 
Batman uh, versus Robin. Batman versus Robin. Which we're going to talk more about in the main episode anyway. We will. Uh, but so. it was very good. A lot of great voice acting. I really oh, yeah. enjoyed it. So, yeah, go back to the to, to the Court of Owls. The villain, Talon, was voiced marvelously by Jeremy Sisto. Yeah. I thought he did a great job. And there was a little, uh, little cameo villain called the Dollmaker voiced... Uh-huh wonderfully and very creepily by uh, Weird Al Yankovic, although he dropped the weird. Yeah, just Al Yankovic. Yeah, he wanted people to take him seriously in this uh, animated thing. All right, so that's the first thing I saw. I've got I literally only two more things as far as movies. And, then I have, I have three more, two of which I had seen before. So All right, so uh, you go ahead. Okay, I saw, I rewatched, pardon me, uh, Milos Forman's Amadeus, which is marvelous. And I knew that, but I don't think I quite remembered just how wonderful this movie is. I mean, it's 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 so complex. And when I when when I think of sort of the the historical biopics or the not even this doesn't isn't really that much of a biopic, but like when I think of the the historical epics uh or the period epics of like the 1980s, I it always seemed like a lot of flash, not that much substance, or at least not that much to say. Even The Last Emperor, which is great, which is really great, it doesn't seem like it has that much to actually say about the man. You, you know what? <clears throat> well, t- um, I, I, this might actually step on your point a little bit. Okay. Because um, it does have a lot to say, but I don't I, I don't actually think about that much what it has to say about Mozart, the historical real person, or Salieri, yeah. the, the person. I think... Because I, I also I waited. I, it was later in my life that I got around to seeing Amadeus because mm-hmm. I think I had an idea of what it was that was wrong. Just you know, lush period piece, mm-hmm. best picture winner. You know, uh, like I knew. All right, everyone thinks it's good, but it just seemed. Like, yeah, I'm sure I'll see it someday and I'll find it serviceable and boring. Yeah, uh, it's not that at all. It's an incredibly vital piece of uh, filmmaking, and the thing it reminds me of, of all things, in a way, is Deadwood. Mm. In the fact that, in, in the sense that I feel like the 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 writer of the it was a stage play first, right? yes, Peter Schaefer, Peter Schaefer, uh, and um, Milo Milo, Sh- what, uh, who's the director's name? How do you say it? Uh, well, it's probably Milos, but Milos, yeah, Milos Forman, Milos Forman, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like like uh, with. Um, why am I? I can't. My na- name's. I'm not Walter Hill. Uh, no, not Walter Hill. Who's the showrunner of Deadwood? Uh, David, David Milch. Milch. Yeah. Okay. I got all the names in place now. Like I believe it's David Miloch. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, David Milch. Um, I feel like he had something to say, like something specific he wanted to say first, and then found a, an historical, uh, hmm. y- you know, venue in which to unfold that. And yeah. I know that to be actually the case. Cause I don't know if you know the story behind Deadwood that David Milch pitched this great idea to, to HBO about, uh, civilization, human civilization forming itself out of where, where there is none, hmm. except it was set in ancient Rome. And they were like, we kind of just yeah. signed this thing with the BBC to do Rome. Could you tell the story somewhere else? And he went away and he came back with Deadwood. That's, uh, apparently that's literally how Deadwood came to be. And you know who uh, created Rome? Uh, John Milios. Yeah. How how long did it take him? Uh, <laughs> oh, watch out. You took so, my stupid joke and you made it better. <laughs> um, and I feel like Amadeus is the same thing. Like, I don't feel like Peter Schaefer. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like he set out to say, I'm going to explore uh, the person that Mozart was. I feel like he's he had a specific 
story or an idea or a theme or something that he wanted to tell, and it found a home in the story of Mozart and Salieri. It's entirely possible. Uh, I wouldn't doubt that one bit. Um, what I think he might be trying to uh, explore is, to me, okay, so we, we've talked about this on the show before, and uh, by the way, you're going to hear me say all this again on my uh, Best of Pictures mini so that I already recorded, but goes up in like three weeks. Um, Though I've forgotten all of it. There's yeah. so many movie podcasts out there. Absolutely, and they, just, I have to assume they listen to all of them. Um, <clears throat> that's the only way to do it. But anyway, how, so, how else would you know that we're the best one? Exactly, exactly. With this, honestly, second best is more than one lesson. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say that it's better than this, right. obviously. Um, and then how did this get made? <laughs> I've, ne- I've literally never listened to that show. I have. Uh, <laughs> I have. So, <clears throat> um, but yeah. So you and I have talked in the past uh, about like I think a listener asked, "Hey, what movie characters remind you of yourself?" Uh-huh. I forgot about Salieri. Like, and you know what? Number one with a bullet. I mean, it's crazy how much he reminds me that's of a, myself. That's a tough one. It is a tough one. But the thing is this, the, and, and, and as I was watching the movie, I was like, oh, geez, this is uncomfortable. But as the film goes on, what I think is the brilliant stroke of it is that he's not the villain as much as some reviews describe him that way. And those people are stupid. At least I hope they are. Um, <laughs> he's not the villain and Mozart's not the hero. Mozart is he's crass. He's ridiculous. He's just he happens to also be a genius. Salieri uh, is envious and, and a little petty and uh, but is serviceable at what he does um, in his own eyes, though, that's mediocrity. But what I like is that these two men in, in the key scene at the end of the film, I'm sure you remember it. These two men come together. Salieri's hatred of Mozart and of himself goes away as he is helping Mozart mm-hmm. with his music because in that because Salieri lo- he does love music mm-hmm. at his core he is a music lover and that's one of the frustrating things is that he recognizes as nobody else does that like uh, this Mozart guy's pretty brilliant. Uh, and so <clears throat> it's this it's this give and take of I hate this man, but he's great for music and I do love music. I would like to be at the forefront of it, but I'm not, which then brings my hatred back up. It's just there's so much going on there. But I think in the end, I'm not sure if I'd say it's the film is about love of art or the artistic pro- or the creative process. It's not necessarily about that, but that plays a big part of it. And this this could have been just a story of envy and right. and pettiness and all that you know, kind of you're thing. and it me, isn't at all i didn't realize it at the time but um and i'm sure other people must have noticed how similar frank is which I, you didn't see frank from last I year do not. how similar frank is to to the story of amadeus interesting and in both cases the name of the movie is not yeah. necessarily the lead okay you know what i mean yeah uh, domino gleason is sort of the salieri yeah uh of of frank anyway yeah. it's it's a marvelous movie and listeners it's the the director's cut it's three hours long but it, i'll say this it flies by um the director's cut is available on netflix if you haven't seen it make it a priority it's wonderful okay uh, i'm gonna say something i'm gonna, uh, there's a movie that i want to talk about but i want to talk first and maybe this is an idea for an episode down the line or okay. maybe an essay uh on the website but um I feel like critics sort of go around all agreeing to we all we all agree and people who read critics all agree to just pretend that 
a person's opinion on a movie is the their opinion on the movie is their opinion on the movie and so on and so forth and not taking into consideration the fact that a movie will change drastically depending on your mood when you watch it oh sure right or, yeah your your place in life and yeah, yeah. Um, and so i am a big fan of the films of Tsai ming lang uh, i'm not okay. sure i'm saying that right but i think when we did our um top 10 of the decade back in mm-hmm. 2000 did we do that in 2009 which would have been incorrect, but I think we did it in 2009 because yeah, so. that's when everyone else was doing it. Uh, I think I put Good Goodbye Dragon in in my top ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was very excited to see his new film, Stray Dogs, and it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like I found the second half a little bit impenetrable, and part of that might have been that I was just tired when I watched it. Oh, okay, and he's yeah. not a good filmmaker to watch when you're tired because it's very – I mean, like, the the <clears> – <throat> I can't remember. The, the second or third to last shot of the movie is literally like 15 to 20 minutes long. Um, yeah. As you know, I went from hating Verkmeister Harmonies to it getting pretty close to cracking my top 10 <laughs> right, based on how much sleep tired. I had gotten. Yeah. Uh, but that's the thing. I really, really like Stray Dogs. It's, uh, it's beautiful. It's got a beautiful um, sense of sound design. It's, a, it's about um, a essentially a homeless family mm-hmm. um who are still they're still keeping things together they have like they're they're homeless but they have a little sort of like place that they stay yeah. you know um and the guy has a job holding a sign on the side of the at, at a busy intersection mm-hmm. and his kids like go to school and stuff like that so they're they're holding it together but they're living like on the fringes mm-hmm. uh, of the of the city and and um it does a thing wh- which which I love. I think I talked about it a year or two ago with great uh, the great beauty, where it's maybe it's maybe as much as twenty or thirty minutes into the movie where you sort of start to figure out what the story is and yeah. who the characters what the characters' relationships are to each other. So much of it is just setting the the location and setting the mood mood and the tone, you know. And so there are long shots of this guy whose job is just to hold a sign for a business at an intersection, and he's doing it on a day that it happens to be pouring rain and just like incredibly windy. And he's got this like poncho on, and he's just like mm. hugging the sign, and he's not talking. It's just a long shot of the wind and the rain like whipping against his face while he's holding yeah. onto this sign. There's stuff like that at the beginning that is fantastic, um, and. It continues to be fantastic because I love the movie, but I really do need to watch it again because I was kind of well, let me kind of this. fading in the second half. And it's about two hours and 15 minutes long. I mean, you are able to recognize that, oh, I was tired. So are you able to filter that out and still think of it for what it was? Or do you feel like you're seeing it through uh, like a fog? Well, part of it is that I don't want to go so far as to like compare it to Mulholland Drive, and the, okay. the, which like completely st- has a switch halfway through mm-hmm. but the movie does change halfway through yeah. uh, roughly it might be a little more than halfway i'm not sure um and so i feel like i uh i didn't keep up with the movie as well as i could have because i was uh i was fading a little bit mm-hmm. so i need to watch it again i still have the you know digital screener so i can probably watch it again mm-hmm. what's next for you Next is a film that uh, I threw on uh, thinking it was going to be just fine and I could watch it or rather listen to it while I was working and then glance over occasionally. Um, And that is, I don't remember the name of the director, but it is a documentary called The Sheik. Okay. And it is available on Netflix. Uh, And it is about the the pro wrestler or rather former pro wrestler, the Iron Sheik, 
who I grew up. I I, I loved uh, WWF, uh, the WWF when I was uh, the World Wildlife uh, Fund. What was that? The World Wildlife Fund. Absolutely, and the and the Iron Sheik, he took a stand for panda bears. Um, <clears throat> but now he is a popular Twitter personality. He sure is. Yes. Um, but yeah, I I was a big fan of wrestling when I was a kid, uh, and then I turned nine and stopped being a fan of it. Please note that everybody, uh, just an idea. Anyway, so. Moving on, uh, that's mean of me. Uh, I actually recently watched this uh, this video essay by Max Landis about wrestling. Have you? Did you watch that? I've heard about this. It's it's really great, and and there's it's so much passion like, there. Wrestling isn't wrestling, or something. Like something that? like that, yeah. yeah. And and it's very interesting, and actually got me to look at wrestling in a slightly different way. But um, <clears throat> the director of the Sheik is named Egal Hecht. Okay, yes, that would, ex- Hecht. that would explain why I didn't completely remember it. Um, yeah, and so the film uh, is just about his life, and I thought it was going to be another one of these what you and I have called human in- interest documentaries, where it picks a subject that is that has a certain degree of pop culture. There's a certain degree of pop culture fascination with that person, and then you know that's it. Um, after a while, I realized, oh, I can't watch this while I'm working. I have to actually watch it um, because you know the I, I've noticed over the last couple of years. The mo- the documentaries that g- most get my attention are the ones that have a lot of uh, what I've start what I've I guess I start has started have started calling access, just a lot of access to its subject like mm-hmm. the the ones where where it's just a bunch of talking heads uh, talking about something it could still be interesting I'm not saying it it, it couldn't but um but the ones where there's a subject and we're there there's a sense of immediacy. And you can't, and it's, and it will hold on a shot or something like that. And you know that, oh, there's no editing. This is it. Uh, those are the ones that I think work the best for me. It's why I liked, you know, Citizen Four. Uh, it's why I think, you know, Life Itself could have been the Talking Head documentary, but, right. um, <clears throat> but instead, I mean, they still, they're right there with Roger Ebert as he's getting, you know, right. stuff suctioned out of his throat. It's horrifying. Yeah. Like, uh, that makes a big difference. And so this, this guy followed the the Iron Sheik for a while, and he was addicted to crack. He still had a wife mm-hmm. and children, and he just sm- he just smoked crack because his various injuries over the years, and he would call it his medicine. And it became he became very belligerent and that sort of thing. And so you see scenes of him yelling at his family. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a story of redemption. Like, if it ended there, I'd be like, this is... <laughs> like, for a moment, I thought, well, I don't see him getting out of this. He certainly doesn't want to. And then I thought, oh, there's 20 minutes left. Okay, we're, we're going to be we're gonna be all right. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> but it winds up being very interesting and, you know, not not remarkably insightful or anything. But it, it's, it's interesting. It's watchable. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was good. It's not something that I would highly recommend, but, but by. And there's plenty of you know talking heads in that as well. But by allowing us to see into this man's rather troubled life at times, it ma- it makes a huge difference, and it, it, that's what elevated it from being like, you know, a C minus documentary to like a B minus okay. for me. Um, I also saw a documentary. Uh, now I've had a issue, an issue before that I've talked about it in reviews. I probably talked about it on the on the podcast. Documentaries about 
musicians or bands that I'm already a fan of, okay. I have a tough time connecting with because I kind of feel like, yeah, I know. I know Big Star is great. Oh. I know Kathleen Hand is great. You know, uh, I'm naming some. I would love for you to go see in the theater a documentary about a band you love and then you keep saying and then throughout any time a piece of information gets put out there you just go i know <laughs> um yeah that would be great but no what i decided to do instead was to um see a documentary about um a band that i don't like very much okay and part of one of the co-directors is not lost her name it's like laura lauren landvin something like that but uh she made tupac resurrection oh okay which, which i liked yeah it, yeah um one of the best music docs of the 21st century i think um so i went to see a documentary called can't stand losing you surviving the police which is the the story it's the story of the police specifically told from the perspective of uh andy summers the guitarist um and based he narrates it it's uh, a lot of the footage um the, at least the the more recent footage uh centers on him um it's i think it's based on his memoir uh but it sort of tells the story of first Andy Summers career as a musician before the police and then the police. And it doesn't tell anything about, and, and then it ends or it, it returns throughout to the 2007 reunion mm-hmm. uh, and the show at Dodger stadium and stuff like that. Uh, and it, do, it completely skips over the 20 years in between them breaking up and then yeah. getting back together. Uh, so it is really focused on just what led to the police and then what it was like being the police. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a decently made documentary, but I, you and I have often talked about unintended consequences of movies sure. or unintentional themes. And what I found, especially with this focus on one one band member narrated in his voice and the fact that he um, he was married before he was in the police, had a, had a daughter. Over the course of being famous, his wife left him, got okay. divorced. Later, after the police had broken up, he and his wife got back together and got and remarried and I think, and ended up having more kids, mm-hmm. um, which is really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think this movie ends up being a portrait. Like when you see famous people, rock stars or whoever acting like entitled douchebags, yeah. right? And I'm sure you or I, or most of us would like to think I wouldn't be like that in that situation. And I think this movie, this movie maybe unintentionally, makes an argument about how people become like that because that's kind of what that lifestyle pushes them to be. Yeah. Uh, um, and just showing how the band became so fractured that like other than recording and playing on stage, they didn't really talk to one another. They, when this, when, when they were the, one of the biggest bands in the world in the early to mid eighties, they would play a show and immediately not go back to the dressing room, not go each of them would go to separate limos and immediately go to separate hotel rooms the second the show was over. It's like it's like you and me with the with the podcast. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I get in my limo, waiting limo. Um and I have mine just drive me around the block and bring me back home. <laughs> yeah. Uh and this this movie sort of again, I think unintentionally, but kind of showed how Andy Summers was a decent guy. Yeah. But being of you know, in a group of people who are all famous and being surrounded by people who only interact with you as a famous person like either an idol or uh often an object of you know sexual desire yeah um there's not a lot of options to be a good person Hmm. uh it's really it was really that part of it was really interesting 
I think if once they got back together, if his wife left him again, I feel like you'd really have <laughs> you'd really have a hypothesis here. Yeah, but I mean, they just got together for a few shows. I think they played. They did like a um, uh, a small show at like the Whiskey or the Roxy. That mm-hmm. was like a, like a, um, a private sort of thing, and then they did the Dodger Stadium show, and I think they played like brazil and mm-hmm. i think they did a big tour i'm like i can't remember maybe okay. they did a bigger the um the the small show they did prior to dodger stadium actually uh has one of the biggest laughs of the movie where the band comes out and sting says to the microphone he says uh i just like to introduce the band uh andy this is Stuart." <laughs> that's uh, funny that, that was very that's funny. pretty funny <laughs> that's a good joke i'm curious to know who wrote that for him <laughs> yeah um <laughs> Not, uh, sting is uh one thing you learn about him is he's a uh, clever and smart sarcastic rude arrogant guy okay uh yeah that's good um <laughs> it's not good that he's well it's it's nice when uh, rude and arrogant no but yeah, it's nice when someone the, is sharp the portrait you get of sting is that he was just waiting to be famous because he was already kind of uh charismatic yeah. arrogant prick before they were famous yeah and uh I mean, let me ask you this sting yeah oh there's no question <laughs> about it uh the um he's not a professional wrestler the, there is one called Sting, yeah, and I I, <laughs> I know shit about wrestling. Okay, well, I don't know if he was ever in the WWF. I think he might have been in the WCW. I don't remember, um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, so you know, here's the, the, here's the issue: just released an entire album about professional wrestling. Did they? It's called Beat the Champ. Yeah, I really respect that. <laughs> um, but uh, and you know, actually, in in the uh, to go back to the chic, uh, some of the behind the scenes stuff about wrestling is very interesting. So, uh, did you ever just, see, um, beyond the mat? Is that what it's called? I did not. That's a, that's a but good movie. There was a time about a year ago when, uh, I was looking for stuff to listen to while I was working and I, on YouTube, I found a whole bunch of wrestling documentaries that were like 30 minutes. So there's like, Oh, Brett, the Hitman Hart, I remember him. Let's hear his story. Uh, it's a sad one, by the way. Yeah. They're often quite sad. There's a reason that Darren Aronofsky made The Wrestler, and uh, it doesn't end well. But um, <clears throat> but uh, let me ask you this. Do you think I would enjoy this document? Because I also am not a fan of the police. Like, I, like, I really am not. I, I do not respond I, to I the music I don't they blame make. You. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's... Is playing as a NoHo Seven, which is why I went. Yeah. Uh, I don't like to. Not going to say exactly where I live, but I can walk to the NoHo. <laughs> yeah. I can walk to the Lindley NoHo Seven. Uh, so that's when I went to see it the other night. Um, it's literally like seventy nine minutes long. Okay. I'd say when it, if, if it's ever like available on Netflix, yeah, give it a shot. Okay, uh, it's when you can watch while you're working, probably. Yeah. Um, I feel bad. I don't do that a lot. I I do it with movies or TV shows that I think I'm not going to like that much or that I don't think are going to be super engaging and it's just or stuff that I think won't be very visually interesting um but if it the moment it starts to actually grab my attention I will stop working well sorry no I'll keep working but I will hold off on finishing that thing until I can actually devote my full attention to it so what's next for you I'm done with movies next and last for me is uh David Fincher's Alien 3 Oh yeah, which well, hold off. Yeah, I can't Don't talk much, much about away. that. Yeah, um, and we're not going to give away why you can't give too much. Away. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, a lot uh, of layers of subterfuge. What I'll say is that, and and yeah, there's uh, every thought I have to say. Uh, every thought I have, I, I feel like I don't want to say right now. But what I what I will say is that. Um, 
boy, that thing is a such such a misfire. And I know that everybody knows that, but it's just it had so many elements. Uh, it had a really good cast. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, a, a, a very notable director, although he wasn't notable yet. Um, but he still definitely had his eye. Mm-hmm. Um, you had uh, interesting imagery and, and all that sort of thing. You had uh, a good cinematographer and a good uh, production designer. Like, there was a lot going on. But I watched a lot of the behind the scenes and stuff. And I mean, they started shooting without a finalized script. With, and not merely not, not uncommon in studio franchise right. uh, movies, by right. the way. But when you, but like, I went back and watched the special features for Aliens uh-huh. and Alien, and those, the script was so important. I mean, they, Alien went through all kinds of rewrites and stuff, but like, th- they got locked in. When they finally locked their script in, they're like, okay, this, we are happy with this. Now we need to realize it. Whereas that one is, we need to realize something. Hey, why not a script? <laughs> it seemed to be that. And I think that was the, the primary issue. And so... Um, but, but the thing is in watching it. And so I went in with that attitude. I knew that already. Uh, but what I forgot is that the first hour of it is pretty solid. Like when it's okay. establishing it's the world, time for me. it's establishing the world, it's establishing the characters. Charles dance is always a dependable actor and yeah. he's really good in it. Charles S. Dutton is also good. There's a guy named Brian Glover. Who's sort of the warden of the prison Connolly. He's a lot of fun. Uh, and it's written pretty well too. Um, it's really, frankly, it's once the alien shows up that the thing starts to become really rote and, uh, sorry, rote with an R, not with a W. I know. Um, and, uh, and also I know this, I don't comment much on bad special effects. Uh-huh. Those special effects are bad. Uh, just the bad, um, like bad use of blue screen and stuff and it's huh. just and when you look at how They're different green now green now but blue at the time so that's why i specified okay. um and so uh and it's so interesting like the effects were so great in the first one and wonderful in the, in the second one um because they did everything practical they had very little use of blue screen especially when it's you know I'm the alien and you're Ripley. We're in the same room right, right. now. They would make sure, okay, they're going to be in the same room. Whereas there's a lot of blue screen there and it's clear they're not in the same room. It, it sucks any fear out of that scene. And it's just so, it's so frustrating. And I recognize they didn't have the time that they would have liked and all that. But like, to me, I'm willing to, I'm willing to cut, you know, at this point, older movies, a lot of slack on their special effects. But when you see that even older movies within the series looked better, uh-huh. that's when it's like, all right, we, you guys were all willing to settle for a lot of shit. <laughs> and it's just, and it bothers me so much. And so I think, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it, I'm glad I rewatched it and I started watching, um, the director's cut of alien resurrection, which I'd never seen before. And, uh, I didn't finish it. I don't think I've seen the director's cut. Ugh. Ugh. Really? Okay, let me... T- here's... Okay, first off, there's a lot of early Joss Whedon, and I feel like early Joss Whedon could be seen as a little bit insufferable with certain things. Uh, like, one one thing that was cut out is somebody... 
uh, Ripley mentions the company and uh, the character's like, I don't know what company you're talking about. And then someone's like, oh, she's talking about Waylon Yutani. That that company went belly up a long time ago. That's in the movie, isn't it? They were purchased by Walmart. Was that in the movie? No, that's not in there. Yeah, that's in the director's cut. And it's like, ugh. Okay. I, I, it just bothered me so much. Not because it just, it just seemed like the kind of thing that Josh Sweden like gave himself a little high five for afterwards <laughs> and that they were right to cut out. But, uh, but yeah, so, okay. Um, all right, let's move on to television. Okay. What do you have? Obviously you and I will talk about the amazing race at the end. That's yes. how we end. Uh, because it's the only thing we both watch. Yeah. Uh, I watched community, which continues to be, uh, a solid B, Okay. This uh, with occasional A moments, certainly uh, pretty solid B this episode. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. Um, I watched Survivor. A lot of good stuff happening there. This is a particularly interesting season because uh, in the past, they uh, there are like Survivor nerds who are uh-huh. super fans and they will reference that. This is a season where there are at least five or six of them. And it's very strange to watch because you have people that will reference things that happened in another season as a way of convincing somebody else mm-hmm. to do what they want. Mm-hmm. And it's and I've never really seen that before. And like this is a season of like hard players. Not everybody, but there are there again, there are like four or five people that are putting every and that are playing very very hard and there's usually maybe one or two in any given season and they usually flame out but you know they're down we're down to 10 now out of 18 and half of them are playing very tough and it's and it's really interesting to watch and it and it you know sometimes it's very difficult because some of these people are horrendously insufferable Uh, there's one guy who's just the worst he's he's very much he's from boston but he's very jersey shore-ish and he's yeah his name is rodney and uh and there's one part where he's talking and it just cuts to this one woman who just says under her breath and they they bleep it of course where she she clearly just says i fucking hate you (laughs) 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 and we all are like yes Yes, I agree. Oh, um, but yeah, there's not, there's really not, not much else that I watch uh, these days. Gotham okay. isn't back yet, but okay. I'm excited to. I'm actually excited uh, for its return because the last few were pretty good. Well, what is back is Mad Men. <laughs> okay, I know you're a couple seasons. Back. I am. Yeah. Um, but uh, I quite liked the premiere. Um, one thing I always liked about, I've always liked about Mad Men is that it's the show has so much confidence in itself that it's never really done the big like. It doesn't it it doesn't generally have like big premieres or big finales. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like I imagine the series finale would be something. But yeah. it uh it 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 plays everything a little bit I mean in, in some ways Mad Men is very much on the nose, um yeah, in ways that have both worked and haven't. But it never is like operatic. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh and so this really felt like a lot of uh other season premieres even though i know technically this isn't a season premiere it's season 7b or whatever Ugh. Ugh. i hate that so much this is by the way uh, 
between the general tone of Mad Men and the fact that there's only the occasional big milestone between that, which is not a flaw, right? But between that and then the splitting up of seasons, I have no idea where I am in the series. Uh huh. <laughs> That's funny. So, um, well, yeah, this is seven B, um, and uh, it's the seventies, and people have mustaches. Yeah. Uh, not Don Draper, but of uh, Roger Sterling has a mustache. And uh, and Ted Chow has a mustache. I don't know if you're too far back. I don't to even know who, who Ted that Chow is. is. Okay, well, he's a great character, actually. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I I really really enjoyed the episode. Um, it feels like slipping back into a pair of slippers. I guess okay. uh, that's very that you're familiar. Penny uh, loafers, with. maybe. Uh, yeah, but more like like the like fancy slippers that you could actually like host a house party yes, in. Yes, okay. That's that's the kind of slippers. There we go. They have like they have like crests on the toes. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um anyway, uh yeah, I uh, I don't want to say too much cuz I know a lot of people aren't caught up um and people don't listen to this to be spoiled on Mad Men. So, uh yeah. But yeah, last minute it took a week off. Um so I don't have that. I don't have to bitch about this week. I have other stuff to that I could complain about. I won't. I, I saw. I saw a still, by the way, from Last Man on Earth. Okay. And what I didn't realize is one of the characters. One of, and I guess I spoiled it by saying characters. Yeah, there are more. But um, was and I don't know the name of the actor, but he's been on Community. He was in The Watch. He's a, a larger man. Yeah. With a mustache, and I love him. I, don't I think he's the, hilarious. Was he in The Watch. <clears throat> He's a, uh, whoever the cop is, who's the cop? I forget. That's like, uh, I don't remember, but, um, is it might it, be Will Forte. It might be Will Forte. Actually. Yeah. Maybe that's what so they it's, know each it's, other. Yeah. So his it's his, partner? uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the guy who gets his heart ripped out, I believe. Um, Mel Rodriguez, I think is the I, actor's, that sounds right. actor's name. I like I, him a lot and I think he's, he wasn't on uh, community very long, but okay. he was great when he was on it. Uh, Yeah. But uh, that took the week off. The other thing, I'll, but the other thing I do want to talk about is that Archer season six ended, mm-hmm. uh, and it was uh, I was uh, not a fan generally of Archer season five. This was I'm not going to go so far as to celebrate Archer season six as a return to form. It was an uneven season, but it had um, way more hits than season five did. Okay, uh, and it ended with a strong strong two-parter that was a riff on fantastic voyage where the archer crew literally gets shrunk down and injected into someone's into someone's body i like that um that sounds good and then well in archer fashion and this will be a bit of a spoiler if you're really trying to uh i'm saying for the listeners if you're if you haven't watched yet or whatever um unlike in other fantastic voyage movies they don't make it out in time so they return to form (laughs) and then the dead guy or the guy who wasn't dead the guy in a coma who's now dead is splattered all over the wall (laughs) um uh, so that's a that's pretty funny. That's a funny uh, Archer twist. That was one of the more graphic things they've ever actually done on on Archer. And that's a show that's something. done a yeah. lot of graphic stuff. Yeah, uh, good stuff. Carrie Brownstein did a voice in the finale. Um, Christian Slater, who was a, a slightly recurring guest star last in season five, was practically a regular in season mm-hmm. six, um, which is funny. Like you don't think of him. Christian Slater doesn't seem like a natural fit for archer but he did a great job yeah um because he's uh he's the the storyline in archer season six is that um their their agency their private agency no longer exists on its own that's why uh, which is convenient because they probably don't want to call it isis yeah. anymore yeah um there was in the in the like 
in the in the premiere of the episode, you see someone wheeling away the ISIS, and you can't even read that it says ISIS. Yeah. If you know, you know, but they're wheeling yeah. it out of the office. Anyway, they're just like a freelance crew um, that like uh, strings for the CIA, and Christian Slater plays their contact who assigns the missions okay. and hates all of them. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he warns Carrie Brownstein's character away from having sex with Archer by saying uh, he's had the clap so many times it's more like applause. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, that's a good job. Yeah. Anyway, um, anyway, yeah, good, good season, and it's it was renewed for two more seasons, so we already know that's going to be a next season, and so it ends with wow, that, that's I guess, been, a bit of a It's been going for a while. Yeah, this was the sixth, yeah. so it'll be at least seven seasons, and given that it's still a huge hit for FX, I, I imagine at this point Adam Reed can make it as long as he wants interesting um yeah so uh looking forward to more of that all right let's talk about amazing race all right how after in 26 as a 26 this is the 27th season right as a 26 seasons how do you not know just through fucking cultural osmosis learn to drive a stick before you go on the amazing race i was telling are you kidding me learning to drive stick is the is is to amazing race what learning to make fire is to survivor like which i recognize is that's a harder thing to do but if you can do it you you're in like you're you're doing great and yeah like you're going to be in any number of places yeah it's it's had to to like either these two had to have shut themselves off because I can't like, and the other couple wasn't doing great either. The the truck stop couple. That's true. Um, yeah, they did. They got lucky basically yeah. that Brogan and Kurt fucked up so incredibly, so royally. But like, how do you? Even if you've never watched the show, how do people like when you say I'm going to be on the Amazing Race? Someone's got to say, make sure you learn to like. That's what I would yeah. say. If someone, oh sure. If, if I find out one of my coworkers is going to be on the Amazing Race, uh, the first thing I would say is make sure you know how to drive stick yeah that's read the clue le- right. learn how to drive Hasht- stick hashtag read the clue yeah always, <laughs> always make sure that your stuff is out of the car like just get just take three more seconds yeah. and make oh, sure yeah. you got all your stuff with you it, i mean everyone read the clue this time but yeah. there was someone leaving their stuff in the car also yeah. in this episode which actually worked out and turned into kind of a funny yeah a funny bit like you yeah. don't really see like running bits on the show but the the idea this these two just waiting around for their car to come back yeah. they turned into like uh statler and waldo for <laughs> <laughs> a second uh, yeah and then yeah. they had they were great for um uh blair to play off of when he was like i just want to talk to someone who's nice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let me ask you this have you t- have you turned on Haley yet incredibly but not for the reason you t- like i think your initial objection to her was that she didn't seem very smart and I don't no, think no, I don't think it was that. It just that uh, she just seemed like something of a drag on the team. I don't think she. I don't think you can do what she does for a living and not be smart. Yeah, but um, I feel like that was your complaint. Maybe you just didn't like her and you said mean things. Because um, I feel like you I said did find her annoying and obnoxious. Uh, and I didn't off the bat because I thought that he was also not playing ball. Um, but now, I mean, she's just. How do you like? Do you think? I always wonder when someone when someone behaves this way in the amazing race when they're airing it are they seeing what we're seeing like do they think they're coming like with a couple seasons ago when there was that couple where the the husband was it, to my mind like emotionally abusive yeah do you remember i can't travis I, uh I, I can't remember yeah um, I but remember. they were also doctors yeah yeah 
um, but she was a former student of his, that, and yeah. and that dynamic I'm sure played a role. <laughs> was a big part. Yeah, uh, and I wonder, like, I hope that both of them, if not, and if not both of them, at least her. I hope that's what I was watching when this episode. I hope she sees what her husband is like, the other, when, how other people see it. Yeah. and so I wonder this, like. Uh, does Haley get it? Do her friends? Do her family? Like- well, if if any of us, like, I, I'm sure that if any of us had a camera on us in our most stressful moments, and then we looked at it later, we think, oh my gosh, that's rough. And I'm sure, and in the moment, we know we're not acting like we normally act. And so I'm sure she's aware that this is not ideal and that she's not great right now. At least I'm hoping like I'm cutting her. Maybe I'm cutting her too much slack in saying that. But that's the thing. Like just because she might be aware of it doesn't doesn't excuse yeah. her her attitude. And but uh, like, I mean, <clears throat> it's I know there's uh, editing plays a part in it. Sure. But there's some things you can't when, you know, when she was slowing them down at the Stein carrying the, the yeah. Oktoberfest, like Stein carrying thing. He was being totally cool, like yeah. giving her, you know, advice, like hold it this way or whatever, yeah. but not getting on her for making them do it over and over again. Right. And yet when she decided to do the other challenge, him even taking a second to follow her along, follow along with her, yeah. suddenly he was the one slowing them down. Yeah. It's, uh, un- unbelievable. It's astounding uh, how <laughs> someone can be that, that tunnel visioned and, and yeah, it's, oh, and it's so interesting because. I mean, I want them to be eliminated from the race because I don't want to deal with her anymore. <laughs> um, but I also, on Survivor, almost any time uh, there's somebody that's like annoying, but other people say, ah, but they're good television. Almost invariably, I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, I want them it. off my TV. Not worth it. Yeah. Somehow on The Amazing Race, it doesn't get to me that much. Yeah, I think we've had, it does to me. I, okay. I would rather they be, they be gone. Okay. Unless when it gets down to the point where like... Um, if there's few enough teams that it's good to have a villain, sometimes I get into that. Yeah. But when there's a whole smattering of teams, I'm like, I just don't need it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we saw uh, the, well, and and uh, this amazing race, we could literally do an amazing yes. race podcast. That'd be a lot. I don't fun. know why we don't. Um, but uh, this was the week we saw the 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 fissures start to show in the blind date teams who had yeah. who had been doing very well yeah and if you look at who's left there's more blind date teams left than non-dating te- yeah. than non-blind date teams uh yeah. previously dating teams i guess whatever you want to call them uh but yeah obviously blair and Haley, um kurt and bergen like yeah they didn't just mess up they hated each other yeah they you, if you had directed, if you had a director telling them you couldn't have picked a more perfect final shot yeah. of them leaving that train station and yeah. walking in polar opposite directions. Which, it, it, it almost felt directed to me. Like, hey, uh, when you guys get a uh, leave, go different ways. <laughs> or they could just say, like, all right, your car's over there. Your car's over there. <laughs> right. We're, our, our camera yeah. will be right here looking straight ahead. Um, but we also saw the two. Je- Jeff and Jackie. The two who, the, of, the, of the blind date teams, the two who actually seemed to maybe have a spark. And they might still. They might still because they, they, they made up. Yeah, yeah. But that got that got big. That got rough. Speaking of things being bleeped out, as you were a survivor, I mean, that was, uh, yeah, people being told to shut the fuck up. Yeah, so fucking annoying. That's and rough. All this, yeah, it was it was rough. And then Laura and Tyler, they're just going like. If wait, which any, ones are they? They're the ones that uh, he left his fanny pack oh, yeah. in the car. Wait, they're not. They're previously dating. No, no they're in, okay. they're not. Um. But that's the thing is, like, if anybody could 
like she could have as they're waiting and car after car is not the one they need. She could have gotten pissy at him. Yeah. And it would have been, I'd say, understandable to a point. Yeah. He left um, his fanny pack yeah. in the car. Yeah. But they're just cool about it. Yeah. They're having and, a good time. Yeah. Which is crazy to me. And yeah, yeah I, I enjoy watching them a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think like even though there are more uh, blind date teams. Because there's also not. Jenny and Jelani. We didn't even talk about them. They're still they're still in it. Yeah, they weren't much of an entity this episode. Right, but I'm just saying they're um, still a blind date yeah. team that's, they're, that's still in it. But I do think a front runner has emerged, and I can't. And even though like there's any number of challenges, but like the Olympic team. Oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah. think they're going to do very well, and I feel like they're starting to pull ahead. And I know that there'll be like you know the the bundling. Uh, things where it puts everybody on the same flight or yeah. whatever. But I feel like this is a team they're good at, com- they can communicate with one another. They're able to adapt to the circumstance. And I feel like they're probably going to do pretty well. Yeah. I mean, most amazing race teams that do well for a while have either brains or brawn and they clearly have both. And yeah. that's, that makes them tough. Yeah. All right. That's it for the amazing race podcast. Uh, thanks. Bye. <laughs>